they'll, they'll use shepherds to kind of walk a certain area and give them intel on what the IDF is doing. And shepherds is just like the, the nickname used? No, like or actual, actual shepherd, shepherd, but they, they're like, oh, this employed. This is Psalm 23. <laughs> no, 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 no. But they're, they're employed by Hamas. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. The Mac and the Black. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you, what it's like just for anybody to serve in, in the Israeli Defense Force. Um, so for me, it was a little bit more of a unique situation. Um, I was what's called a lone soldier. So if you don't have family in Israel or you are, for whatever reason, not in contact with your biological family, and we're talking about parents, not grandparents, so it has to be parents, uh, you're in a status called being a lone soldier. So you get extra financial support, uh, you get support with housing, you get... Um, a little bit more time off to take care of errands because in Israel, you get paid a like, like a minuscule salary as a soldier. So it's expected that your parents are kind of going to take care of you, do your laundry, help you with errands, help you with. But if you're on your own, then. They but if you're on your own, you don't have that. So they they kind of give you support for that, uh, for the process, and they kind of on an HR side, they kind of help you out a little bit more than than a regular soldier would. Uh, but serving in the IDF, I would say it's probably very different from what I've heard from my friends that serve in the U.S. military. You know, we don't get deployed for like nine months into a different country. Everything is inside of Israel unless there's a war on the border. And then we're in Gaza, we're in Lebanon, we're whatever, which doesn't happen very often. So most of your service as a soldier, particularly as a combat soldier, is spent doing security operations. So you're on the border, you're doing surveillance, you're doing security ops. If you are in the West Bank, um, what we call Judea and Samaria, the occupied territory, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, you do uh, basically the police work. So the, the military is the, the authority in those areas. So you do basically arrest warrants, you do stakeouts, you do surveillance, um, things of that nature, you do checkpoints. So you had to go make arrests and shit? Yeah. Uh, here and there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, during my service, it was kind of calm, so they're they're pretty like straightforward. It's like knock on the door, hey, come out, we're taking you. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, 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 the main things you dealt with was people like throwing bricks at your head from from the the third story of a house, or just because you're you're an Israeli soldier and they hate yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or on occasion, you know, maybe people shooting at you or something like that. The Gaza border was a little more interesting. Um, most of the work there was actually done by snipers. Uh, because everything is, is very long distances, so you're 200, 300 meters, mm-hmm. or people are 200, 300 meters from the fence. Uh, and basically, you're you're preventing terrorism, you're preventing IEDs being laid, uh, and you're doing surveillance. So you'd be scoping out for people like that looked like they were planting bombs on a road. Basically, like yeah. yeah. So what they do, they'll they'll use shepherds to kind of walk a certain area and give them intel on what the IDF is doing. And shepherds is just like the, the nickname used? No, like or actual, actual shepherd, shepherd. but they, they're like, oh, this employed. this is Psalm 23. <laughs> no, 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 no. But they're, they're employed by Hamas. So, okay. uh, you know, they tell them, hey, give us info into when the patrols are coming through and whatever. Okay. Um, so my understanding mm-hmm. is 
Palestine isn't technically a country. No, it's not. And there's a difference between like Palestine as a whole and Hamas specifically, right? They're not they're not exactly the same. Entity. So so there's a very complicated history here. Um, basically, um, in the 1900s, there's in the late 1800s, 1900s, there's the Zionist movement. Okay, mm-hmm. and Jews started moving to what's the called Kingdom Palestine, which was. Right what the British called that area of the world. I see. Um, now, Palestine was basically parts of... And this is just like a, this is like a biblically-based movement, right? Like, we're going to... Yes. Gonna this yeah. is the land promised to Abraham. Exactly. So we're yeah, going to just yeah, occupy yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Okay. Well, not occupy it. So they were actually buying lands right. off, of, off of people there. Um, but basically, the Arabs that already lived there were either Arabs that were part of Lebanon, part of Syria, part of Jordan, part of Egypt... And so on and so forth. Were they cool with it at the time? They're like, hey, look, these Jews... Yeah, they were selling it to Jews. They're just moving. They were selling lands to Jews. Right, right. Okay. Um, So, the land of Palestine was what the British, when it was under the British mandate, called that area. Okay? And I believe that that uh, stems from the philistines so what country is technically sovereign over the, over palestine then today so if it's not really a country like is, is there a nation that claims palestine as their territory it's israel israel so israel yeah. is basically like look everybody in palestine is actually in israel exactly yeah now within israel you have arabs they're they're israelis they're israeli citizens right they're muslims there's christian arabs there's also a subgroup called Druze. It's like 18% of the population or something, right? Something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have representation in, in, the, in the Knesset or in our parliament. Um, they have full, full rights. In fact, they probably live better than most Israelis because a lot of them don't pay taxes. But in Palestine, those Palis- the Palestinians aren't recognized as citizens of Israel, are they? No. So they are in, um, I believe it was one during the Six-Day War. Uh, so all the lands uh, around Jerusalem and what we call Judea Samaria, the West Bank of the Jordan River. Mm. Um, now that's been held by Israel for many strategic reasons. If you look on the topography of it, uh, basically it's all hilltops that look down on all coast of it's Israel. Ground, yeah. So this is the high ground. The same thing with the Golan Heights. Why Israel is never going to get that up? Because when it was under Syrian control, they would shell Israeli settlements all over northern Israel. Mm-hmm regularly like just complete civilians um so that's basically what passed now here's where things can become even more complicated so israel uh up until i believe 2005 was occupying the gaza strip we said enough we don't want to be part of this we pulled out mm. by the way up until the second intifada which was around early 2000s Israelis were going in and out of Gaza. Arabs were going in and out of Gaza. There's a lot of commerce. It was it was good for everybody. Let's mm-hmm. put it this way. When it was that was when it was occupied by Israel, right? Yes, I see. Yeah, but it, it was a very like cordial and good business relationship, right? And there was Israeli settlements in there too. 2005, whatever politics, Israel pulls out. Now, when we use the word settlement, is, does a settlement have a different legal status than just like owning a house in Jerusalem? I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know on the technical side of it. Because, um, like, as an American, when I hear the word settlement, I just think, like, pilgrims. And, like, they just came over here and were like, hey, we're going to hang out in this, like, five acres. <laughs> yeah, you know? something like that. I mean, um, look, people want to want to talk shit about the settlements that are, are in occupied lands. But, uh-huh. first of all, they, they employ a lot of the local population. A sure. lot. And they pay them... Israeli minimum wage or higher 
which is a lot, which is usually double what they would get paid in their little villages mm-hmm. or wherever they're do, doing with, with benefits and so on and so forth. So that's first and foremost. Um, but anyways, Israel pulls out uh, a year or two later. Uh, a was soldier- it just like a concession they pulled out? Like, or was it because they didn't want to maintain security in the area? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So Israel pulls out of the Gaza Strip. Uh, at that time, it was under the control of the Palestinian Authority. That was the, the local governance there. Um, they pull out. A year or two later, uh, they set up an ambush on um, an Israeli tank crew and kidnap a soldier for five years. Jesus. Keep him, keep him as a POW. Uh, during that Why? time... Just because they're pissed off that Israel exists? It's always the same same type of deal. During that time, um, I, I don't know if it was before or after. We gotta kind of have a someone look up the facts sure, on that. Sure. But, uh, during that time, Hamas, which is the current group that that rules the the, the strip, basically has a violent coup. Actually, there was a le- an election. They get voted in by the locals. I mean, so voted the locals in. became kind of radicalized for whatever yeah, reason and um, decided to vote for Hamas. I mean, they're both terrorist organizations, for some concern. Like, the, the Palestinian Authority pays families of, of terrorists that have been killed uh, by Israel, people that are held in jail in Israel because they're terrorists, $1,000 a month. And by the way, that's funded by tax, U.S. taxpayers. So U.S. taxpayers give aid to Palestine, and then that aid is then used to subsidize exactly. families of terrorists who have been yes. arrested by Israel. Yeah, or, or killed. Right. Um, Anyhow, uh, basically, there's a violent takeover. Of, so they get elected, but there's also a violent takeover. They just kill like a bunch of Palestinian Authority members. Hamas does. Yeah, Hamas does. And then that leads you to Operation Cast Lead in 2008. They start lobbing rockets all over southern Israel. They didn't have the best capabilities back then. Um, Israel goes into Gaza, clears house a little bit, goes back out. Forward to 2012, this was during my service. We were supposed to go in. Um, same thing happens. They start shooting rockets. No real provocation for it. I don't know, maybe... Actually, no, there was a, a slight provocation, which Israel just took out uh, some like terrorist leader inside the Gaza Strip. Anyways, they start lobbing rockets again. There was no ground offensive, but there was a large uh, air offensive they did. Forward two more years, 2014. Uh, I don't remember what the operation is called anymore. A lot of the guys that were officers from, from my time were, were there. We had actually one officer that was killed. I got hit with an RPG. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Were you serving in 2014? No, I was already out. So I was At that point, I was in New York City or Michigan. I was like r- ready to buy my plane ticket to go back. But they, right. they, don't, they don't typically call you back to reserve after about um, a year, year and a half of being out. Um, so that operation, same thing, lots of uh, Air Force doing work and then infantry offensive. Um, that was somewhat of a debacle on the IDF side. Uh, they were using uh, M- M113 uh, personnel carriers, which are not designed to take impact from, they're barely designed to take impact from like rifle rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, very old. You've probably seen them like in Vietnam era movies, like sure. armored personnel carriers. Um, lots of soldiers get killed because of that. Uh, like a whole, like probably fifteen or twenty soldiers that got killed in one or two of those. 
Uh, lots of soldiers got injured. But once again, you know, the, it's like this like weird, like, oh, we fight, we fight, and then there's a ceasefire, and then we stop, and we go out, and then they just rebuild their forces again right. and repeat. Now, one of the issues during that time is they, they also started, a lot of the foreign aid that they get, they, instead of building schools and, and hospitals, what do they do? They build tunnels that lead into Israel to commit terrorist attacks. Uh, so that was a big issue during that last operation. Um, Israel kind of figured out how to deal with that. They basically created this this wall that goes four meters into the ground and has sensors so they know where all the tunnels are also due to lots of intel work um, and apparently they use some weird algorithm to figure out where the tunnels are uh, for this past operation they're they're able to destroy a, a huge amount of those tunnels and basically they're just designed to like send terrorists into israel right right uh, and they were leading in like into some of the the towns, they're right outside the Gaza border. Uh, fast forward to the last operation, which was um, a couple weeks ago. Same thing. This was just completely unprovoked. Uh, basically, on the Temple of Mount, you had a big uh, golden uh, thing in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, um, during Ramadan, they tend to get a little bit ra radicalized and start causing problems. Okay, so that They're was, not eating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> starving yourself all day is not going to make you a happy person. Right. Um, but there's always, during Ramadan, we're always on high alert because there's always extra terrorist attacks, extra people starting to do stuff. Um, but basically what happened, uh, I, I believe they were, they were just starting to, to cause a lot of trouble in that area. So the, the our, our border police came in and start clearing house and by clearing house you mean just like arresting people arresting, arresting people clearing the, the moscow no one was killed right no not really it was not really just regular <laughs> i mean i'm sure so, you know if, if they throw molotov cocktails at police they'll get shot right of course you know they pick up a big brick and like they'll get shot it's just right. how it is i mean that's that's anywhere in the world like so Hamas takes it upon itself to defend the honor of Muhammad, whatever. And there's an election about ready to happen in, in Palestine, right? So uh, um, isn't aren't there isn't there a political incentive internally for Hamas to take like a radical position against Israel? I, I Probably, I think, I think yeah. There's, are, there's always they're, they're supposed to have an election there since like 2004 or something. And I don't know. Back. There, there's always a political incentive to all those things, right? Um, so anyhow, Hamas, which is in the Gaza, other side, not even connected. The Gaza Strip is not connected to the West Bank, right. to Jerusalem. It's, it's a good strip of land in between them. Um, so they decided to start lobbing rockets into Israel, indiscriminately. I saw These, the Iron Dome. Yeah. I saw the videos. Um, so those rockets, you know, they're not guided. They just choose a degree and shoot. And they're trying to hit basically civilians. Uh, they actually killed a lot of Israeli Arabs with those rockets, probably five they or six. Killed a lot of their own. They killed a lot of their own because they had misfires and landed in Gaza. They don't care. Like, you know, during my service, I saw it time and time again, Hamas terrorists using children as human shields on the border, like regularly. So like, um, they'll, they'll have a rifle and they'll just be holding the kid? Uh, not, not so much as to, uh, they, would, they would have like, if they do some type of protest or something, mm -hmm. they would have all the kids stand in front of them and they'll be in the back with rifles and they might shoot at you, but you know, it's hard for you to shoot back. Right. Um, and that's what the world doesn't understand. They want those casualties 
Right, for political reasons. For political reasons, because the world, like, like bless Europe, but they're in, in La La Land. Um, you know, it makes it look like Israel is killing all these civilians. It's not that Israel is killing the civilians. They're killing their own civilians by using them as human shields. Like, what are we supposed to do? Well, they to even threaten to kill people if they leave their homes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's to make it look like, oh, Israel is killing all these civilians. We're, we're, yeah. But really, it's, it's them wanting that to happen for the world to have pity on them or whatever, whatever is they're, right. they're trying to achieve. Um, so that was the last conflict. Uh, I was I'm, I was very unhappy with the government's choice not to just go in and and just clear the place out completely. Gaza or all of Palestine? Gaza. Yeah. The West the West Bank there's not really that much problems. Right, unless they're um, but if they're if they're funding Hamas, <laughs> you know what I mean. If there's if, if there's other if the, if if the West Bank is funding. Hamas so I don't think Gaza. they're funding Hamas. Hamas is most of the funding that Hamas gets is from Iran, Iran yeah. and Qatar. Right, and Iran's been notorious for funding terrorists in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, they're, they're meddling with everyone. They're meddling with. I don't understand everyone. why we allow that to happen. Ask uh, Grandpa Joe. Grandpa, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where most of their funding comes from. It's Qatar. It's uh, Iran, and it's through all kinds of shell companies and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how most terrorism is funded in the world. Um, but that's that's kind of where we're at now. Now, what I believe now, look, I'm no like like geopolitical expert and so sure. on. But it, there's like this even meme that came out that was like BB uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah. Um, you know, after every one of these operations, like basically saying the same exact thing. Oh, we we diminished their ability to launch rockets, and every time it's worse rockets they reach further into israel and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. really what needs to be done is a full-scale operation to just clear that place the problem is these politicians are a little too afraid of body bags and you know dead israeli soldiers coming home it's like look is that or we're in the same cycle every year in the country is paralyzed and people can't go to school and people get to war in any other country if they're getting shelled they're just going to occupy like if 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 Texas was getting shelled by Mexico, we would annex Mexico in a heartbeat. Yeah. Maybe not this administration, yeah. but any other administration yeah. would. Yeah. And it's and it's always been this this double standard against Israel. And I think in the, in the end it just goes back to anti Semitism. Uh, you know, people will say oh it's anti Israel, it's not anti Semitism. You know how much anti Semitism there's been since that operation in New York, people getting attacked, sure. uh, in Los Angeles. Sure. Well, and, and if you're if if you're an American citizen and you're anti-Israel, you might you might not necessarily be anti-Semitic, but if you're in Hamas, is by definition, by even explicit self-definition, Hamas yeah. is anti-Semitic. I mean, yeah. their yeah. leaders have said they want to round up all the Jews and exterminate yeah. them. Like, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about about the fact that the hatred happening from the Gaza Strip on Israel is not only political; it's also like cultural, yeah. racial mm-hmm. hatred. Yeah, absolutely, and you know more more to that. Um, what what was crazy in this in this last um, operation that not only was you know the stuff going on in Gaza, there was actually a lot of internal stuff going on in Israel. Right, with there the was, Israeli Arabs. There was Israeli Arabs attacking Jews on the street. So we have a few. Quite a few cities that are mixed, right? 
you know, Tel Aviv, um, I think is one, right? Not Tel Aviv, Yafo, Yafo. Is, which is kind of the southern part of Tel Aviv. There's another city called Lod, there's Haifa. Uh, but they're mixed cities. And there was like synagogues getting firebombed, there was people getting lynched. And of course, there was stuff on the other side, Israelis or Jews attacking Arabs as well. But it was much, much less. I mean, they had to bring in the whole border guard to, to like, like uh, basically have martial law there. Right. Um, which was pretty crazy because to me, if you're an Israeli Arab, you're the freest Arab you can be. Right. Because you go to any other countries, you, you don't really have democracy. You, right. I mean, it's like, like if you're Arabian gay, people. they're going to throw you off a roof. Right. Are you, can um, you legally be gay in Israel? I don't know anything about Israel. Huh? Can you legally be gay in Israel? Yeah, you can get married. Yeah. No shit. I didn't yeah. know that. It's completely like. So all the gay Arabs love Israel. I'm sure they do, but <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, you know, like women have like full, like they have all the same rights that the Jews have. You know, it's, to me, it's crazy when people say Israel is an apartheid. Say like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, right. it is like. It's, well, it's the only Middle Eastern country that has multiracial um, communities. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Not only that country. Not only that, Arabs get actually extra help because for, of a perceived disadvantage. Because they're a minority. Yeah. Right. So, for university study, for for jobs, things like that, they get extra help in terms of um, like integrating into society, so to speak. And a lot of them don't pay taxes, and, and you know, you go to the, a lot of these Arab villages; they're driving much nicer cars than your average Jewish Israeli. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have much bigger homes than your average Jewish Israeli. So, what are your thoughts on? Um BB as a, as a leader, and uh, I heard today that the, his op- his political opponents were able to form a government. I'm very happy with that because so, is, BB would be a great foreign minister. Uh-huh. He's a terrible prime minister. Why do you think so? Um, so he's a very eloquent speaker. He's an absolute pro politician. Like I don't think there's any better politician I've ever seen than BB. Like anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of his policies are are not good for Israel internally, and it's causing a lot of issues uh, internally in society. Like he was trying to pass some law, um, I don't remember what it was, but basically it would um, make non-Jews like it, it would make it seem like non-Jews are second-class citizens. I see. Uh, so it's very popular with you know the ultra right folks, but well, do you think every time Hamas bombs Israel that the Israeli people get a little bit more radicalized against Arabs? No, no, because if you talk to most Israelis, they're very like just live and let live. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they they don't care. They they just want to have a nice home, good education, good food, safety. That's it. Like like most people. Um, and then the other issue politically is that he always aligns with the ultra-Orthodox parties. And they are probably the biggest scourge on Israeli society. Why is that? They don't work. They don't serve in the army. Um, they're just conscientious objectors? Like it's a, they're morally opposed to serving in the military? And not even that. It's because the military is mixed. They don't want to be serving with women. I see. Um, but the main thing is they don't work. They don't pay taxes. And they get subsidized by the government. And, you know, their population grows exponentially because they have 10, 12 kids. Right. You know, 
Um, and they have quite a bit of control in Israeli society too. Like, for example, to get a kosher certificate, you need to go through some orthodox organization that's basically extorting you for money to, to get a stab that you serve kosher food. Wow, I see. You know, um, marriage. If, if, you're not, uh, if your spouse is not Jewish, you can't get married initially legally in Israel. You, you'd have to go get married outside of Israel, bring your marriage certificate, and then it would get recognized. I see. Um, burial as well. Like You have to go through these guys if you want to marry your relatives. Um, so a lot of different things that they have control on in Israeli society, but they don't really contribute to Israeli society. They, most of them don't work. They don't serve. They don't pay taxes. So there's, you know, basically the middle class of Israel, the people that do work, people that work in tech, people that own businesses, mm -hmm. basically pay for everybody else. I see. Which is, which is a big issue. Um, so what I like that now that the new government is forming, uh, Bennett, who's going to serve as, the, I guess, the first prime minister, mm -hmm. Naftali Bennett, first of all, he was a very experienced commander uh, in the top tier one special force, actually the same one as Bibi. Uh, but at a much later date. Um, and I see him as, as I think, this better leader from what I've seen from him over, over the last decade almost that he's been in office. Um, and then two, he's what we call um, religious Zionist. Mm -hmm. um, so they're a lot more chilled out on the religion side of it. They all serve in the army. In fact, most of... Uh, it's starting to be more and more that the, the, the top-tier units, the top-tier commanders are all from that kind of part of Jewish society in Israel, the, the, what we call the religious nationalists or whatever. Um, so they're much more pro-Israel. But at the same time, he's partnering with kind of what, what they would call the left, but it's not like the left when you think about it here right. in the U.S., uh, which is I think is going to be a much better balance than... Bibi's far right and crazy Orthodox folks. I see. Um, so I think I think it's going to be much better for unity in the country. Um, you know, like you have an election as you have like thirty parties. Right. So you're voting for it's, it's insane. Right. So why do you think it is that the United States takes such an interest in Israel, and should we give a shit? <laughs> uh, so a couple things. Uh, one. Um, Israel is very much aligned with America in many philosophical and... Just Judeo-Christian kind of background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's the only country like that in the entire region. Mm -hmm. So if you think you got like big countries like Turkey, that's all Muslim. You got Egypt, that's all Muslim. Basically all of Northern Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so you have Europe. So if we ever need to do a major operation in, in the Middle East, it's, it's nice to have a foothold in Israel. Yeah, um, also, I think for intelligence sharing, that's a big, probably a big reason to it. Um, you know, on the tech development side, on the business side, there's a lot of stuff that's going in between the two countries. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the Israeli Jewish lobby in, in the U.S. is, is very strong, mm -hmm. making sure it's supporting Israel, uh, which which I think is, is good for the most part. Like, you know, you have... One country, I, I probably I would say Israel is probably 
the one country that's like the true ally of the U.S. You know, through thick and thin. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I don't, I don't think like any other country in the world that's going to be like, yeah, we're there. Well, and I think that I think that people are so pissed off about what happened with Bush in Iraq, Mm -hmm. um, with you know the intelligence that was either a lie or just bad intelligence Mm -hmm. that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, right? Yeah, I think that the U.S. is so pissed off about the fact that we got involved for bad reasons that we've forgotten our people have forgotten how these terrorists actually want to fly more planes into buildings. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I think people forget that we get, yeah. we get frustrated. We're like, why are we involved with Israel? It's Amer- you know, it's America first. Mm-hmm. Why do we give a shit about what's going on in the Middle East? We're in all these stupid wars. It's like, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but at the same token, it's like everybody else other than Israel in the region is like there, there's there's active incel groups that just like that that are uh, 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 active groups that just want to fuck up Americans. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I, 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 it's unfortunate that Iraq played out the way it did, and that there was so much distrust that was created yeah. in America with our own government about foreign operations yeah. like that, because yeah, exactly. there actually is a real threat over there. Yeah, there's a real threat, and also if you think about like on a geopolitical side, like if the U.S. is not there, then it's going to be China, yeah, and Iran, yeah. You know, and and those are people that you don't want to be there, and you definitely don't want them close to Europe, right? And and starting to take over because if you think about the next probably big conflict that's going to happen, and I'm going to say it's probably going to be more on the cyber side, and it's already happening on that. But if there is a war, it's probably going to be either a direct war or some type of proxy war between China. I mean, we've already been fighting proxy wars with Iran for the last twenty years. Right, Iran has been been operating uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan since the beginning. I have a friend who was, who's a uh, U.S. Army guy who was blinded by uh, uh, Iranians fucking around there with, with lasers trying to blind snipers and things Jesus like that. Um, you know, both, people, both of his eyes? Uh, just, just one of his eyes. Thankfully, his non-shooting eye. So They got the wrong eye. Yeah, they got the wrong eye. He was actually <laughs> looking through a scope and then sapped his eye. Um, I didn't realize that, we, that they could even do that. It makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, the, magn- the, the lens probably magnifies. Yeah, the magnifications. That. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you you have that. You also have um, a, a lot of defense and tech development that goes on, either in co- cooperation or in some type of exchange between the U.S. and Israel, both on the military side, but also on the civilian side. Um, so that explains a little bit why the um, uh, radical Islamists are so antagonistic toward Israel, because they yeah. see it as like sort of a hub of the great enemy. Well, you know, they call the U.S. the big Satan and Israel the little Satan. I didn't realize it. Yeah, that's, that's like a thing. Um, but we're we're basically, at, at, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated geo- geopolitical thing because you have you know on the one side you know China Iran and Russia kind of as, as the axis now right that's that's trying to take over the world uh, but you also have that whole Middle Eastern society outside of Israel that's really incompatible with the Western world in every way you can think of it in the way they approach life in the way they approach death in the way they approach women's rights and the way they approach everything basically right well i mean fundamentally 
the mentality is that the secular government has to be religious, right? It's Sharia mm-hmm. law, and that's just totally antithetical to Western culture. Exactly. I mean, we, we believe in a very separate government. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, they think, oh, they're just other people in other parts of the world. No, they're other people. They're completely non-compatible with the way you live and want to live and the things you believe in. Right. Which is okay. They, you know, they're entitled to their opinions. We just don't want that coming to us. Right. You know. So, so where does Iran get its money? Is Iran funded by China? Uh, oil. They sell, they have a lot of oil, oil money. Uh, we're still going to be a little bit screwed when that runs out. I'm sure China is supporting them in some way or shape or form or through some type of uh, business exchange. Um, but I would say probably oil is, is probably their biggest funder. They don't really have any other natural resources in that part of the world. Interesting. It's so. interesting how fucked up Iran got um, just in the second half of the 20th century. I mean, yeah. or, there was this um, graphic novel that I had to read in college called Persepolis. Mm-hmm. And it's about this girl that was growing up in Iran during the Iranian Revolution. Yeah, it's like they were they were very Western in their culture yeah. in those early seventies. Mm-hmm. I think that was the revolution in seventy nine or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and then after that, it just totally changed. I can't believe that we installed the Shah over there and let yeah. that happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, also Lebanon, same thing. Lebanon was called the Paris of the Middle East up until they changed their mind on who they want to lead them. Yeah, you my know? dad was actually there when that was going on. He yeah. was in college. He uh, was in a jazz band. Yeah, his college jazz band did a Middle East tour. Wow. Okay. Like it was a college program. Okay. And uh, he played trombone, and he was in Lebanon, like right when the fighting broke out. Yeah. Just playing the trombone. (laughs) He said he couldn't believe it. He said a Coca Cola cost ten times more than a beer when he was there. Really? Yeah, I don't know why, but for some reason the beer was cheap. So, it's it's a very very mixed pot of things that 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 involved this but you know and you can say you know israel is occupying this that but look in the end it is the only free country right in that entire part of the, world. the only free country like you can say whatever you want and there's things i don't agree with in israel you know like how they were handling covid mm-hmm. and you can say they were the first out of covid whatever at what cost right you know they're like tapping people's phones and sending them text messages that they need to go into quarantine that's not good Right. And, you know, and unfortunately, Israelis have the mentality of "I need daddy government telling me what to do." And running which is sort of bizarre, given yeah what happened last time. Big government got out of control yeah. for the Jews. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, Jesus Christ! You think that they'd be like fucking well, liberty? The difference is that the government is is Jewish, right? right. It's it's right. not it's not a completely different group ruling over you, but right. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I left Israel too, because I don't like big government. I don't like having to have a license for everything. I don't like can you carry a weapon in, in Israel? You can. Um, so it used to be a little bit harder. They actually changed the law. When we had a, I think 2016, we had a big string of, of terrorist attacks, of stabbings and shootings. Uh, and basically, before you, you had to have basically a valid reason to acquire a gun. Like you live in the West Bank. You live by the Gaza Strip. You're a lawyer. You're in jewelry business. You're, you're exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so you have, to, you have to have a justifiable reason. Um, when that started happening, the, the uh, internal minister, or whatever the, whoever handles it, changed it to where if you served uh, in the infantry 
as a combat soldier or a special forces soldier, you could also get that license. Uh, and they made it a little bit easier to get that license. You see the constitutional carry passed? Oh, it passed? Did, yeah, the governor, the governor hasn't signed it yet, but he okay. said he's going to on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. So that's will that fuck with your business that you teach um, classes? Uh, license to carry is not really a big part of my business. Like, very like one percent or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not really going to affect me. Yeah. Um, I train more people that actually want to learn how to shoot because, as you know, the license to carry is kind of bullshit uh, as is. Right. So I don't I don't like carry either way. I think it's probably good that people are need to know the laws in one shape or form, but I think it's also kind of bullshit course to begin with so it's like you know you're making me go through this bullshit having me pay money waste my time to get this license that's really my my right in this right. country uh so it's good it's bad whatever it's still going to be available to get your license to carry because there's certain states that you do need a license for right. and if you don't have a license you won't be able to carry there so people that travel people that want to be able to carry in like 43 different states uh, will probably want to get their license either way. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I'm excited about it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But there's a I don't think anything is going to happen. Yeah. Th- that's, that's what I think. Yeah. The, you know, when when uh, everyone was freaking out when Open Carry passed, it, it was right when I opened my business, and I was like, "Why are you guys like? What's the difference?" Um, Nobody really open carries anyway. You see, like the occasional old white dude at Cabela's open carry. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Like it's such a f- stupid flex. Yeah, it's just it's just dumb. I would never carry. open carry. Yeah, I don't it's just it's just I don't a, want to be that guy. It's just a dumb thing to do, right? I don't even like going to the movie theater by myself because people look at me like I'm a mass shooter, like white dude in his thirties at the movies. Yeah, so, right? like, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's silly. It's silly. People are freaking out about it. People are gonna freak out about, about this. You know, when campus carry passed, that was part of the whole open carry thing. People were like, "Oh, there's gonna be mass shootings." I didn't realize in Texas there was campus carry. So basically, if you're a student, you can carry on any campus, state campus, state you, university. You can campus. carry on any campus regardless if you're a student. So you have a license, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, private universities, they can stipulate because it's basically a private business. Right. That you're not. But if it's a state university, they can't prevent you. Look, I know for a fact that a lot of people carried regardless because... As what are the you know, penalties? If you get busted carrying a gun and you don't have a license, what, what happens? So if you don't have a license, I believe it's a class A misdemeanor. So like a serious misdemeanor. Do you lose the right to purchase a gun ever again? I don't know. I don't know about that. But because um, I mean, I, depending on the penalty, it's almost worth. I, worth I, it. I think. Well, I, I, well, I can tell you for sure. If you're carrying with a license in a place you're not supposed to carry, like a place that, like a business tells you, it's a class C misdemeanor, like a traffic ticket. So it's not serious. Right. Um, but if you're carrying and you don't have a license, you get caught. I don't know what it is, but well, you nine probably times out of 10, you're already you're already committing another crime, though, right? Like I would imagine that most people who get caught illegally carrying a firearm get caught because they're in the middle of doing another crime. Yeah, so at that point, it, it doesn't matter. Like, like that's one of the things that kind of drives me crazy in the U.S. with some of the laws. There's very serious penalties, but at the same time, the law is completely unenforceable right. in the sense that like. Has anyone ever just like has a cop ever come up to you and been like, "Hey, I need to see your license to carry"? No, they can't do that. They have to have probable cause to even stop you. Right. Even if they see you with a gun, they can't ask for it, right? No. I mean, they can ask for it if if they see that there is a probable cause to ask for it, right. but uh, they, they don't have to ask for it. Um, but the thing is, like, 
the only place where it is illegal to carry and it's really enforced is like a federal building where they have metal detectors. Right, or airport. But everywhere else, like, we have a sign. Like, what is that going to stop? Right. You know, when they have signs in schools, no no firearms allowed. Like, has that stopped any, like, Don't they have to have, like, the right signage, too? I've heard, I don't know if this is just a white guy rumor. It it doesn't, yeah, they have to have the right signage and all this, but it it doesn't matter. Like, once again, the guy that wants to commit a crime is not going to care. Right. Just, like... You know, now, shootings it, have already been illegal. Are, have already been made illegal. Yeah, murder is illegal. Still, so people kill people, right? Right. Uh, you know, in Israel, we have very stringent gun laws. All the criminals have guns. Of course. Somehow they acquire their guns. I bet it wasn't. Well, like illegal. in Mexico, and I don't know if this yeah, is true, but I've heard that you can only get a gun at like in one place. Yeah, in that's Mexico. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But everybody just goes there and gets their fucking gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they bring it over the border. So, how many firearms do you own? Um, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I do know. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Anything. Okay, I yeah. need to ask a person. A, a bit, a bit. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do for a living. You know, right? Anyway, right. Uh, there, there's not really any firearms that I own. They're just like, oh, I just wanted this gun. Like, right. Everything I use for work or some type of partnership I have with the company or, or something like that. Like, I have a Starting quite a church f- in Waco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> synagogue. Um, don't tell that that asshole that they're signing to the ATF though. What's the name? Chipman or whatever. Oh, that fucking dude that was yeah. talking about how he he was supportive of a ban on AR-15s. Yeah, he didn't even know what, he didn't know how to define an assault rifle. Oh it was pretty funny. Well, and like, you know, a- when aren't someone AR-15s is lying, responsible for like one percent of homicides yeah. in the fucking United States. You, you know, you know when he's lying. You know when someone is lying and you're just like, you're fucking lying to me. Yes. And he, they're like, no, I'm not lying. You're like, I know you're fucking lying to me. What are you trying to do here? And that's like that guy talking. It's yeah, just like yeah. he's sitting the table, like goes up to his chin, and he's sitting there. He's yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. Um, but you know, even with all our silly laws that we have here, and even in the most restricted states, it's still a lot less restricted than most countries. Right. Which is well, I mean, I just think California. Yeah. California's got the strictest gun laws that I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. in Illinois, Tennessee, California, and Texas now. Mm-hmm. And um, Illinois, you had to have a Floyd card, but there were a lot of people that had guns in Illinois because the vast majority of Illinois is very rural and yeah. there's a lot of hunting in Illinois. Yeah. But in California, if you live anywhere near the coast, it's like nobody has a fucking gun. I remember yeah. when I was at my office, I owned an office or I rented an office mm-hmm. in uh, Orange County and I would work late, sometimes all night, mm-hmm. uh, on my business because you know starting a small business, and I had my handgun with me, and I was cleaning it like at mm-hmm. my desk, and the cleaning crew came mm-hmm. through because they would come through at like yeah. ten thirty p.m. or eleven p.m. Yeah, clean yeah. all the offices in the building, and the cleaning guy was so scared that I was like. I had a gun. He was like, oh. And I was like, dude, it's my office. I've cleaned my fucking gun. It's at 30. It's like, you're cleaning. I'm cleaning. We're all cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's it, it's funny to me, but I think a lot of people that are anti-gun, their perception of what guns are and what, you know, everything around, it's and around the from of, movies. And the kind of person who would own them. Yeah, it's from the movies. Yeah. You know, like I was training actually a family this morning. And, you know, I was like, explaining things and like uh the 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 wife was um you know i was talking talking about silencers just explaining different things and 
she's like, well, you know, I thought silencers just make it like, you know, like in the movies, you know, it's like, you, you can't hear it. Yeah. It's like and I'm like, breaking the sound barrier. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it doesn't work though. You have to have subsonic ammo. And like, even with subsonic, you're still going to hear it and all this stuff, you know, and we're talking about, what was it? I mean, just like basic function of the gun, like yeah. people just don't have any, or like we're talking about how to rack the slide and like. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, how in the movies, you know, they always like go, you know, they go back and forth. And then forward, yeah. yeah, and you're like, you don't do that. You're going to cause yourself a malfunction. Is there, is there any gun that requires you to go back and forth? No. Correct. Like, has there ever been? Uh, I mean, a bolt action. Right, a bolt action. That makes but sense. A semi, no, there's a spring. That's right. It's going to bring it forward. I wonder why. Is it because the, I wonder if it's because the, the fake guns they used in the movies didn't have a spring. And so the actors had to no. Do it. They had springs because they use blank guns. Something right. has to cycle the action, right? Uh, so they have springs, but it's it's just. But anyways, but it's like that's that's where like people's conceptions of guns are in this country. So if they're anti-gun, they don't know anything. Like they see it in the movies, it must be true, right? Right? They don't have any other like conception of it. So that's that's also a big problem in this country. Like a lot of people, we we have a saying in Israel is like. You live in a movie, right? Like right. when you have your conception of everything is like in the movies, basically. So, so um, have you gotten to the point where if if you don't have your gun, you feel naked? Oh yeah, like I was just in Brazil. Yeah, and like yeah, my, my, I was with the police the entire time, so like I was as safe as you can right. be. In and Brazil. your whole body's a weapon. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you got three dudes with an AK coming at you to rob you. There's not much you can do. But I, I was with the police the entire time, you know. And, like, we'd drive somewhere for lunch or whatever, and I'd get out of the car, and I'd be like, fuck, where's my gun? And they're like, oh, I'm in Brazil. Never mind, I don't have my gun with me. So can you, are there any countries that recognize, our, that allow, allow Americans to carry a, a firearm? No, no, it's impossible. That's crazy. Essentially, if you're going to another country and you can carry, you have some type of dip, diplomatic visa, or you are, you have a license that was issued to you as a diplomat. For that country. So, for example, I have a friend who runs a security company in Israel. And occasion, he's guarded like Greg Abbott and mm-hmm. and uh, other governors. And so they'll have a police officer that comes to them as their bodyguard. And they get basically a special license from the Israeli State Department to be able to carry their gun in Israel. Right. And that makes sense for like Secret Service and stuff. And the yeah. goes somewhere. Yeah. Or like vice versa as, as like... Um, like an air marshal, like an Israeli air marshal has a diplomatic passport. So he can carry whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. Uh, but he can't, like, some places, and the same thing for, like, U.S. air marshals. Like, some countries, they can take their guns with them. Some countries, they have to leave their gun at the airport. It's it's different every place. You know, it's funny. You never really see any um, political leaders carrying a firearm. Like, if I was president of the United States, even with, with um, Secret Service, mm-hmm. I would want to carry you know, from from the professional side, you don't want your head, your the person you're protecting carrying because just because it's more of a liability than not even that. They're not gonna know the protocols, and they're just gonna get in the way when you're trying to defend them. Right. Like their job is not to defend them, so that's why they have all that security. The presidents get shot, man. Hasn't happened in a minute, but yeah. If only JFK was carrying, he would have been able to counter snipe. Yeah. No. 
Do you think Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone on uh, JFK? I don't know. That like <laughs> it's it's such conspiracy theory land. I know, like I know, but as a professional, I don't know. I mean, you were a sniper. Um, I mean, I haven't like looked at the details of it in yeah. a while. But yeah. how far was it that he shot him? Like I don't even know. I don't it's even. Probably know. like three hundred yards. Or something. I don't know. Yeah, and he shot a couple times. I think he missed the first time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I gotta look into it. But look, I've shot with iron sights to five hundred yards. Yeah, is doable. Yeah, if you have the right training. It's funny. Um, I went uh, shooting. My, I have some uh, family friends that have some a lot of lot of acreage uh-huh. north of Austin. Okay. And I took my AR and my Glock mm-hmm. and went up there, and they just set up like a steel target. Must have been a hundred yards, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit more than a hundred yards. Uh, just kind of a standard steel mm-hmm. plate that had like a spray painted red dot on it. Nice. You know? <laughs> and. Um, uh, it was funny because I was shooting it with my AR, no problem, and having had having t- taken lessons from you, mm-hmm. I was hitting it more often with my Glock. Oh, really? <laughs> with the right because of what you were. Yeah. Well, is your it. rifle zero? Yeah, it is. It okay. is. I've just I just haven't. Sh- I've only shot my rifle like once or twice in my life, and, mm. and I've shot the Glock a million times, and I've done the dry firing, you know, and work on my breathing and everything like that. And it was just funny that since I, even though obviously a rifle is a much more uh, efficient weapon for sure. long range, I put so much more practice into my handgun that I was mm-hmm. better at shooting it, even though the rifle yeah. was easy. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but it was awesome. I mean, they couldn't believe it. The guys that I was with, they're like, man, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> was, it's like tactical fitness. Tactical fitness, that's right, man. Yeah, yeah. So, um... You said that you were in Brazil. I know that you're a big Krav Maga guy, mm-hmm. and um, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. Sure. And he's always talking about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Sure. Have you, what's the difference between Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Krav Maga? Advantages, disadvantages. Do you know anything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah. What, what, what's, so what's I probably, first of all, I probably train Brazilian jiu-jitsu now more than I train Krav Maga. Okay. One, I don't have anyone to train When you train Krav personally or when you teach? When I, when I train personally. Okay. Uh, I don't really have anyone to, to train with in Krav Maga right now. Uh-huh. Uh, and then two, um, it's just, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is great. Uh, the thing with, with, and I always try to explain to people that like people try to make Krav Maga into like this mystical, uh, fairy tale unicorn martial art. It's right. not really all it is. It's stand up. That's basically Muay Thai, boxing, kickboxing. And ground stuff that's basically Brazilian jiu-jitsu, maybe some judo, um, mixed in together, and then applied to self-defense situations. Mm-hmm. That's it. So just it's like basically how, how to get out of a headlock. It's basically MMA yeah. for self-defense. Got it. That's what it is. You know, and people try to make like Krav Maga is this like mystical art that's that's super unique and you're going to be Superman if you learn it. Right. All it is is just MMA. In fact, the founder of Krav Maga was, you can say, one of the OG MMA fighters. He, so his dad was a police officer in Bratislava. He trained in boxing, in Japanese jiu-jitsu, in judo, and wrestling. Just to as, be a better cop? Uh, yeah, but he also trained his son, the founder of Krav Maga, in those. Now, this was in the 30s and 40s when the Nazis started taking over he started using his martial arts skill to defend his community so Nazis would come in and he'd just beat the shit out of them basically yeah him and his gym buddies man Quentin Tarantino needs to make a movie out of that yeah yeah that'd be good Uh, so he came to 
uh, what at the time was under British Mandate Palestine. He started training the, the Haganah there, I believe, which was the, the precursor to the IDF. And then he became the IDF's chief fitness and, um, and uh, Krav Maga instructor. Mm-hmm. Okay. At that time, there might have been a different name for it. I believe it was Kapap, which was uh, fighting face-to-face if you translate it. Uh, and then it became Krav Maga, which just means contact combat. Um, in the 60s... Is Krav Maga Hebrew? Is yeah. It, is Hebrew it's a Hebrew word, yeah. It just means contact combat. It doesn't mean self-defense. Right. Um, is that what the IDF teaches? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then in the 60s, it became available to civilians. And it was adapted to civilians. Like people, yeah, I get very early people, oh, uh, teach me military Krav Maga. I'm like, it is completely irrelevant Right. To your day-to-day right. existence. How to fight somebody off grabbing your purse. Like, they don't teach that. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's like, you know, what, what soldiers learn is, first of all, very little on hand-to-hand. It might be, I've heard that about the U.S. military, too. My yeah. brother was in the Marines. But you don't, like, as a soldier, you don't need to know a lot of hand-to-hand. Right. Unless your unit works, like, undercover or something like that. You don't need to know a lot of hand-to-hand. There's always a firearm involved. Yeah. There's always a firearm. There's always three or four other guys. You don't work alone. You're not John Rambo. Right. You know, so... Like, IDF Krav Maga is use your rifle to hit him in the face or block a knife with your rifle, create distance, and then hopefully you shoot him or one of your buddies at that point will shoot him. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it's mostly about creating distance. Yeah, creating distance and getting to your rifle. That's all is like Krav Maga in the IDF. Now, there's certain specialized units that they work undercover and they do a lot more in-depth fighting and, and things like that, but... Israeli military Krav Maga is very, very, very basic fighting skills because you don't need... And a lot of it is also teaching soldiers discipline, teaching them aggression. You know, like when we do Krav Maga in the IDF, you get woken up in the middle of the night while you're sleeping and they tell you, you have three minutes to be ready in the Krav Maga room. And then they force you to do lots of push-ups, lots of sprints, and then maybe do some sparring and then maybe, maybe you learn some technique. I see. That's it. There's, there's not really like, like what you would see at a local Krav Maga gym here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very different. Um, now, what, what I don't like today in the Krav Maga world, it has become very commercialized, become fitness Maga. You know, uh, and then and then that to that, like a lot of people that teach Krav Maga don't take the time to learn other things, so they think what they're teaching is the hot shit. Right. I've noticed Meanwhile, that in martial arts generally, it gets very yeah. siloed and almost culty. Like, yeah. Or like, I'm a yeah, karate absolutely. guy, I'm a taekwondo yeah. guy, I'm a yeah, Brazilian absolutely. jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I was, I've been lucky with is that I've, I've been doing martial arts all my life, so I, I've, I've seen different things. Uh, and I've also worked with various Krav Maga organizations and various teachers. And basically that taught me a lot of the things that I don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then kind of doing what I do now with tactical fitness, which is mixing in firearms and Krav Maga, there's a lot of stuff that just does not work using classical Krav Maga if you are involving a firearm. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's some holes in what would be called classical Krav Maga that are very well filled in with wrestling and jiu-jitsu. And so if what, I'm using which it... Which one do you think is more practical in like a, in like a bar fight situation? I would say this: If you had a very limited time to learn, yeah, you're better off learning striking, uh-huh. and what I would say, classical 
Krav Maga. Okay. Because jiu-jitsu, although it is extremely effective, it takes a very, very long time for it to be effective. You suck at of, it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, like, you you go to a gym and you're a white belt in jiu-jitsu, you just started, you are going to get your ass kicked right. for three to six months before you have any chance against until the next white belt comes so in. So is that what you that experienced? Has no experience. you just getting Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. Thankfully, I had a little bit of my fighting experience, so I knew a few things. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was still getting tapped out left and right, but it's probably not as bad as some of the folks right. coming in. Now, the other hole in jiu-jitsu is there's no striking. So if you get hit in the face, you, you have no idea how to deal with that. So Krav Maga might have an advantage in terms of learning how to take a punch. Yeah. You, you spar, you, you fight, you punch. Right. It's a striking base. I didn't realize that Brazilian mostly. Jiu-Jitsu was, there wasn't striking. It was There's all, zero striking. It's, it's all grappling. I see. It's all grappling. So and it's, frankly, most fights probably kind of are. I mean, you see, if you see like funny YouTube videos of mm-hmm. people getting, like drunk people getting into yeah. fights, like there might be one or two punches thrown, but usually yeah. it's like a re- it turns into wrestling pretty quick. Somebody's yeah. pulling somebody's shirt over their head. Or their yeah, head. yeah, absolutely. Now look, <clears throat> the beauty of grappling sports is they're absolute. So... There's no luck that's involved there. Right. So, like, if, if I am fighting a certain person and he has no grappling experience, he's going to have zero clue as to what I'm doing to him. Right. And more than likely, he's going to do the wrong things that will make it easier for me to control him or take him down or submit him. Right. And that's what people that come into jiu-jitsu for the first time experience. Like, you know, my, my instructor here in Austin, uh, Gabe Martins at IJJ, uh, ATX, shout out to, to yeah. Gabe. Um, he's a, he's like five foot five. And I've seen him just absolutely manhandle dudes like they're six foot four football players. They just could not do anything to him. Okay. Now, with striking, you could be a really good striker. But there's always the puncher's chance. Right. Where someone sideswipes you, they hit you with a punch, you get knocked out. So in, in that regard, grappling arts, jiu-jitsu wrestling uh, is, is very absolute. But it also takes quite a bit of time to get proficient where I would say you would be able to defend yourself. And I would say it's a year to three years where I would say after training jiu-jitsu like three times a week, if you don't have any other experience, you would probably become pretty proficient at it. What about against a layman, right? Like, how long do you think it, it takes to to become proficient enough in jujitsu that you could that you could defend yourself against somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're doing? Because the vast majority of people who get in fist fights don't. Maybe six months. Yeah. But yeah. once again, if if you are not at a high level and you're not used to people trying to punch at you, right. Right, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be very hard for you to deal with that. So, what what is the art to to taking a punch in the face? Because, like, me as somebody who has no hand to hand combat experience, like, I see movies, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, man, if you get punched in the face, you get punched in the fucking face. But like, what is why is it that Tyson can get hit in the face eight million times and it's not a big deal, and then one another person can get hit in the face one time by a weak person and just be leveled? Um, so there's there's certain aspects to it. Um, one, it depends how much you're ready for that punch. Right. So if you're just caught like completely loose, uh, there's a good chance you're going to get your brain rocked. Right. Um, two, it's also experience learning to fight through that. So like I said, if the first time you're getting punched in the face in the street, it's going to be hard for you to deal with that. 
versus you've done it a thousand times in the gym, it's no big deal. Now, is it good to be punched in the face? No, you're going to get brain damage either way. Right. But uh, yeah, it, I think it's partially genetic. It has to do with your bone structure. It has to do with your facial structure. It has to do with your neck muscles. Right. you got strong neck muscles, it's hard for your head to get twisted around, to get twisted back. Do you think that's uh, is that a big part of what happens when people get punched in the face that they sprain their neck is kind of the one uh, not really sprain their neck but what happens when you get that that whiplash effect your brain kind of bounces back right. and forth so, so that's, that's the concussion quick. yeah effect of it um, but once again I think it, it really depends how much time you have to dedicate to this if this is something you're gonna make your daily happy yeah great go learn jujitsu is great right. now also you also need to be learning it from a self defense standpoint not from a competitive standpoint. Right. Because there's a lot of things in jiu-jitsu that if you do in the street could potentially get you hurt or even worse, killed because it puts you in a really, really bad position. Jiu-jitsu is all on the ground. Mm-hmm. Take your typical ground on 6th Street, what kind of shit you got on there. Right. Broken glass. Broken, it's just exactly. Gravel, it's not a mess. Other people that kick you in the head. Right. So jiu-jitsu, like if you, like, you want to learn jiu-jitsu, great. Just make sure you learn it with self-defense in mind. Same thing with wrestling, same thing with judo, same thing with boxing, whatever whatever you want to call it for that matter. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're learning it for self-defense, have that self-defense mindset and tactic for it. If you're learning it for sport, that's something else. But don't expect it to be per se effective for self-defense. Because once you take it out of the one-on-one dynamic in the gym and you take it outdoors, it's, it's completely different. Completely different. Makes sense. I'm like the guys that I'm training right now. They're 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 visiting. Uh, they both have Muay Thai and, and Jiu Jitsu background, you know. And for some of the scenarios, I throw a knife in, just a training knife. Changes everything. And before the training, so I did. I had them do it a little bit before I taught them a few things. Uh, they just did not know how to handle it at all. And there are people that have been training for a year or two in Jiu Jitsu and and Muay Thai. So they had the striking background, but they didn't have the self-defense training with that. You might get a kick out of this. Um, this is my grandfather's World War II helmet. And nice. This is a K-bar from the... Uh, ah, Navy. badass. That's 1944 Navy issue. Badass. <laughs> Take it out. Take a look. But it's in, If you know a guy that takes care of blades, let me know because I need somebody to go do some work Yeah, polish that. this up. Yeah. yeah. I, I can ask. Actually, probably my friend John knows someone, but I'll, I'll ask. Isn't that neat, though? That's badass. <laughs> that, that should be in the museum somewhere. I, I know, man. I'm just going to have to keep it in the family. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People always ask me about like blade training and stuff. I'm like, listen, <laughs> the only thing I use my knife for is to opening my Amazon packages. Yeah, you spray, you spray, yeah, me too. I use this for open boxes. Yeah, it's still it's, sharp. But yeah, that, that, that hunk of metal, man, from World War II, it's got his name spray painted on the front of it. I got an old black Man, I picture. think they had better helmets than we did in the IDF. Dang. I don't know. I mean, what's it really going to do? Uh, shrapnel. Keep, keep, yeah, shrapnel, yeah. rubble, or rubble uh, yeah. maybe like tree limbs and shit if you're getting artillery and basketball. Yeah. But yeah, I got, I got these. My dad gave these to me a couple years ago. Keep That's badass. Good luck. I like the K bar a lot though. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you, you got to get a bayonet to to affix that on, <laughs> yeah. a bayonet lug on your rifle. <laughs> on the ER, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys use bayonets in the IDF? No. I know a guy that um, I have a buddy that served in Afghanistan. He got gutted with a somebody uh, a terrorist with a yeah. with a bayonet. I was like, I didn't even know they even did that. Use bayonets anymore. 
Some forces do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more thrown together forces. It just yeah. doesn't seem like. I mean, it seems like if you're if you can stab somebody, you can always shoot them. I guess that makes sense though. If you if you got an M1 Grand and it's got eight rounds, is that yeah, right? then it makes sense that you might want to conserve ammo. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, it, it it made sense with those World War II weapons are really bulky and yeah. and had a very low ammo, but. I tell you, I, you've nowadays you've almost certainly fired an M1 Grand, right? Oh, I fucking love the M1 Grand. It's so fun. They'll beat the hell out of your arm, though. They're not as bad as the Mauser. What was the um, English one? Was it an Enfield? The English uh, bolt action rifle. I don't from, remember. Uh, super heavy, man. That thing, because yeah. I, I got a bleeding disorder, uh-huh. and that thing, my whole like torso and arm oh, wow. bruised from. I mean, it's just a hunk of wood. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, the the Mauser, like you shot the Mauser, like oh, now I get why the Nazis lost. Really? It's Is so, that a rifle. You mean the handgun? The mouse or the mouse? Yeah, it's a rifle. Yeah, no, yeah. No. I don't know enough about the Luger the is the handgun. Yeah, the Luger. Yeah, I've always wanted one of those. They're expensive yeah. though. Yeah, but the Mausers is like it's got a metal buttstock, kicks like crazy. Like that one, Grand is not that bad to shoot. Is the Mauser um, semi-automatic? No, I believe it's oh, maybe I don't remember. Could be a bolt action, but it shoots uh, eight millimeter Mauser. That's the eight millimeter Mauser. That's the round. Yeah, so. Wow. I can't imagine being in World War Two. Yeah, great time. My my uh, grandfather served on the Soviet side yeah. in World War Two. He was uh, in the Air Force and he was a part of the Engineering Corps. So when they uh, took over an enemy uh, airfield, he would come in, repair it, and get it ready for. That's a pretty uh, cool job. The the Russian Air Force to come in. So was he uh, fighting in Russia during the Nazi invasion? <sighs> yes, I believe that so. That must have been a, a yeah. He was he was. In Leningrad, actually. No shit. Yeah. The Battle of Leningrad? No. Was he in No, he was in Moscow. Never mind. It's okay. I gotta I gotta talk to my dad and ask yeah. him all the yeah. details. So I, just, it, I just don't remember. So is that how your family wound up in Ukraine? Just no. Cause, cause so yeah. the before So when the Soviet Union started forming, what is it, nineteen seventeen? Um they basically allowed Jews to come back into the cities. Before that, they didn't allow them to live in the cities. So they were all in like little towns um, in the Ukraine. Um, so, crazy story, actually. My grandfather was almost killed as a baby. Just for being Jewish? Yeah, so his mom was holding him. And some like, like uh, anti-Semites went through their town and shot his mom. So he oh was like here, God. and she got like shot in the shoulder. Anyways, they got the fuck out of there uh, and moved to Moscow. And uh, that's where him and, and his brother were born. No, sorry. He was born in Ukraine and then they moved to Moscow. I see. Yeah. I see. Wow. So he fought. So what was it like? Because, I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. Russian history or World War II history, just in a sort of superficial way. But what I, I've heard that a lot of the soldiers that after World War II, a lot of the Russian soldiers were very mistreated by... Um, the Russian government in terms of like gulags and there was like a lot of paranoia about um, Western culture influencing them during the war. Was it, was, did he have um, any other, what was his experience after the, that, that, do you know? So after the war in general, uh, I don't know about that, but I know he experienced a lot of anti-Semitism. Uh-huh. So like he was an officer and it took it, they always took double the time to promote him. I see. So he should have like, he's, I think he's sort of like 20 years in the Soviet military. Like he should have been a general. And right. he only finished like as a major or something. Got it. Um, and they also like right after the war they they sent him off or not after, like a little bit after that uh, they sent him off to 
Sakhalin Island, which is the easternmost island in Russia, the one that's right in front of Japan. Really cold, really snowy, remote place to like maintain airfields there. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then what the fuck? With all, I don't understand the whole anti-Semitism thing. Like, I don't get it. Like, either. okay, I get it in Germany. They, they believed a conspiracy that the yeah. Jews were responsible for the failure of yeah. World War One. Like, I get it. Okay, like, it's a lie, but at least it made sense. But, like, why the fuck do just random people seem to always hate Jewish people? Like, I don't get it's it at all. Education. You don't look any different. I, like, I don't know. you don't act any. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I don't know. Especially in the Soviet Union where no one was, like, religious. So they right. were just, like, part of. Like, my parents are as Russian as it gets. Yeah. Like. Do you speak Russian? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like my parents are as Russian as it gets. My so grandfather you speak Russian, Hebrew, English, Spanish, and Portuguese. No shit. How'd you learn Spanish and Portuguese? Uh, Duolingo. No shit. It worked. Oh yeah, yeah. You got. You, but you got to be consistent. Like <laughs> people will do like five minutes of it, like once a week, and be like, "Man, that shit don't work." I'm like, <laughs> "Bro, you got to do it consistently." You got to do it consistently, um, but also like immersion. That's that's huge. So like yeah. you got to learn the base, but yeah. then you got to go immerse yourself. Like yeah. you can't learn a language in a bubble. Like you got to yeah, go immerse yourself. I took three years of Spanish in, in high, high school. Yeah, and um, I learned my talk. <laughs> I learned. Um, I, I managed a painting crew of Mexicans mm-hmm. right after high school, the summer before college, mm-hmm. and I learned more Spanish in the eight weeks that I managed a Mexican crew. That mm-hmm. I learned in the three years that I was in yeah, Spanish. You probably learned how to talk some shit. Yeah, yeah. And I can't do it anymore because it's been 10 years and I haven't spoken Spanish since. But mm-hmm. I just remember it. I got to the point where I couldn't, I never really was fluent at speaking it, only present tense. Mm-hmm. But I could understand it all. And I, just, yeah. I remember um, we had some painters that were squatting. One was named Eden and one was Pablo. And they were squatting in these apartments. So mm-hmm. the Mexicans, what they do is they, they cross the border illegally. And they work on painting crews and contractor crews so they can mm. send money back home. Yeah. And they don't have places to live most of the time, right? Yeah. And especially if they're traveling. And so they'll, they'll paint and they'll squat. So we would do, we were in Champaign, Illinois, which is where um, uh, the University of Illinois is. Yeah. And we paint like every apartment before all the students mm. came for the semester. Okay. And so they would paint and sleep in the apartment and then paint the next one and sleep in it. And there was this fucking guy that owned these properties and he smoked like a chimney. He was old, and he had pictures of himself running marathons all over his office. I forget his name. A Wampler, maybe. I think yeah. was his name. Sounds anyway. like a Wampler. Anyway, right? he did not want Mexicans squatting on any of really? his properties, right? Okay. Like, don't let those fucking Mexicans sleep in my in yeah. the apartment, you know? And so he caught them mm. with, like, a shower curtain and inflatable mattresses <laughs> and microwaves. He caught them. Uh, <laughs> that damn dog. He caught them... Uh, uh, sleeping uh, in the apartment and he called me and he was all mm-hmm. pissed off he was like get your Mexicans out I've already called the cops and mm-hmm. I remember I called Pablo mm-hmm. who didn't speak any any English mm-hmm. um, and I was like Pablo I was like no dormir en los apartamentos seiscientos y seis I was like la policía diez minutos and he just goes uh oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, my, my Spanish would get pretty good. I mean, my wife is Mexican, so we, we yeah. go, you know, we, we go uh, to Chihuahua quite a bit. And, uh, I mean, I'm only speaking Spanish when I'm there. Yeah. And, and you, can you, go to tense, you can do all the tenses, no problem. Uh, ish. The, the, yeah. the verb conjugate has always been difficult for me, but I'm yeah. getting better at it. Um, the nouns you, are easy. It's funny that the nouns come first. It's almost yeah. like you're a baby, you know, like you learn what an object is. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. But the, it's the it's the, like 
future progressive yeah yeah it gets it gets it gets a little funky but uh you know if, if you go outside of like the tourist areas in mexico nobody speaks english right like unless they're like super well educated right so you have to know language brazil too like Brazil, no one speaks English. Right. I, I think like Portuguese is just a non-compatible language with learning English. Because I, I was like thinking about it the other day and like, why is that? And I think the reason is because Portuguese is a very, uh, like, you don't pronounce the words like you do in Spanish, like where there's a definite ending. Mm. Uh, like, Bonzo, go lay down. Everything has this soft ending. <laughs> Yeah, go under the bed, Bonzo. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. He's crazy dog. Yeah. Um, so I think they really struggle when they have to, like, they can't fucking say my name. No shit. Like, hone. Hone. They can't fucking say. But they don't Ron. pronounce R's in oh. general. Okay. Uh, but, like, my name was, like, fucking impossible for them. Um, so, like, when I saw, it was this weird coincidence of events. Anyhow, I started working a lot with Brazilians, and I realized I'm like, these assholes are never going to learn English. Like, there's no chance. I'm just going to have to learn Portuguese. I'm just going to have to learn Portuguese. And it's completely different from Spanish, right? No, it's very similar. It's I, I always equate it to basically deaf people speaking Spanish. Okay. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Not a lot of consonants. Yeah, it's just like not nothing is pronounced like all the way. Like for example, like uh, immigration. In Spanish is migración. Yeah. In Portuguese, migração. Okay. So it's the same it's, word, it's just different ending. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no end to the word. You know what I'm saying? Um, so because of that, like I was like, these guys are never gonna learn English. Um, and they pronounce everything really funny too. Like they don't like Glock. They say Glocky. <laughs> uh, Instagram. They so say they add shit on. Yeah, Instagrammy, <laughs> Facebooky. Um, so it's always fun, but Brazil is great. I, I love, I love the people. I love like everyone's super warm, everyone's super nice. The food is really good. Yeah, um, but I think in Mexico the best part is is the service. They take care of you. Like the most sincere, high quality service you'll have is in Mexico by far. Brazil is pretty good. They're just really nice, but like Mexico is like the best service. People are like really sincere about it. Like they, they yeah, want to. They like, seem grateful and yeah. Yeah, like real grateful. They just want to make sure you have the best possible time. So mm-hmm. I've had that experience. Like we had that experience too. at our wedding. It was just phenomenal because That's of awesome. That. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, sure. Tell me a little bit about. Um, share a little bit about tactical fitness. How people can get in touch with you in Austin sure. and and what kind of classes and services you offer yeah um, um, and i will say just before you get started mm-hmm. that as a customer of yours uh-huh. it is an awesome experience uh-huh. so i highly recommend from personal experience working with you cool 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 yeah so uh tactical fitness is my company um you can find us on instagram facebook or facebook key uh, you got a great youtube channel too youtube um, tacticalfitness.com tactical fitness austin someone already had oh, tactical fitness. i got it. Tactical, tactical fitness, fitness austin, austin. Uh, dot com. Uh, you can find us. You can find all our courses. They're coming up. We do private training. You hear that, Joe Rogan? You hear that? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we do private training. We do private courses. We do like a lot of actually bachelor parties. Contact us. Just to do like a fun range day. Yeah. Birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, whatever, yeah. whatever thing you want to do. Uh, and we do tactical courses as well. Military, law enforcement, and civilians. Uh, we do the concealed carry course as well. If that's like mm-hmm. what you want to do. Uh, and we do private in-home personal training. 
So there's a lot of people in and around town that I go to their home and, and train them in their in fitness or in Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and one thing that I really appreciated having worked with you is when you when you purchase a handgun, you know you can you can YouTube the basics of how it works, but there's actually like eight million things you have to do in order to use it properly. <laughs> I, I don't know about eight million. Not eight million, but like there's several yeah. different steps, right? Yeah, like yeah. Like, like um, um, uh, uh, everything from drawing from a holster to gun safety to reloading, tactical reloads, mm-hmm. your whole philosophy about the workspace and, and mm-hmm. how that works. All that stuff is so important. People don't realize that it's more than just pointing and shooting. Like, yeah, there's oh, a yeah. lot you have to do. People are usually for a rude awakening when they shoot a handgun for the first time. It's like it's it's difficult, right? It's right. difficult. So. So, yeah. well, anyway, dude, it was great to have you. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you coming it's on. Fun. And uh, good luck with tactical fitness. Thank you. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night. And good luck.